The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Museum Life with Carol Bossert. Museums are important whether we work in them, for them, or simply love visiting them. Throughout history, people have collected things and put them on display to enjoy. But today's museums offer much more than rooms filled with stuff. They provide places to learn and share experiences with family and friends, as well as sanctuaries to unplug, rest, and refresh. On today's show, we'll discuss how museums can remain relevant and sustainable, reach out to new audiences, and remain attuned to cultural and technological trends. Now, here's your host, Carol Bossert. Welcome to Museum Life. This is Carol Bossert. Uh, Thank you for tuning in. I always appreciate it. Social justice has been a reoccurring theme on this show, and I realize as I say that social justice is probably an underlying theme in every show we do because, of course, we're talking about museums and museum issues, and everything about museums should uh, be reflective of our community and our community in our museums. I have been particularly... um, aware of uh, issues such as um, using words uh, that are so very freighted and and have so many hidden meanings. Uh, Portia Moore several weeks ago talked to us about even using words like diversity. Uh, what that really means is we're thinking about people that don't look like us uh, and, and wanting to uh, diversify in some ways as, as if they are others. I've also been made aware uh, particularly with my discussion uh, with the uh, founders of the Museum Worker Speak uh, organization about the importance of uh, job equity and hiring practices, and particularly the challenges and the opportunities faced by our emerging museum professionals. I am just so excited about meeting people who are who have chosen to enter the field at this time. Uh, they bring a unique perspective that I think is really going to blossom the museum world and move us quantum leaps beyond where we have been, and I can't wait for them to uh, become museum directors. Uh, We have such a wonderful person on the show today. Uh, Brenda uh, Salguero is the Director of Education at the Hayward Area Historical Society that's in the San Francisco Bay Area. And according to her biography, uh, she writes that she is the daughter of two El Salvadorian refugees. And I say that just so that we can... uh, frame our discussion today and she also is the recent recipient of a double masters in museum studies and business administration uh, from the JFK uh, uh, graduate program. 
and her thesis title, which we are going to be talking a lot about today, was is called Hanging Mirrors, Reflections on Women of Color, Leadership, and Representation Within Museums. I'm very excited to have you on the show today. Brenda, welcome. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited to be on. Wonderful. Um, Brenda, of course, I gave you only the very briefest of introductions, but I'm I'm hoping that you will just share with our audience uh, some information about what drew you to the museum profession. Uh, it's basically a kind of a funny story. Um, <laughs> I was at work one day. Uh, I used to work at a retirement home in Santa Barbara when I went to UC Santa Barbara. Uh, and I basically Googled it. Um, I Googled, what can I do with an anthropology degree? And um, museums popped up. And the funny thing is, as I thought about it, I remembered how much of an influence museums had on me when I was younger. You know, my dad used to take me all the time, uh, me and my younger sister, out to places like Ex- Exposition Park. So the Natural History Museum of Los Angeles uh, is there. And I I also realized later on how much I enjoyed teaching, but I didn't really want to be a teacher. So informal learning aspect of of museums really is what um, drew me in. That's a very good story. Uh, thank you for sharing it. And and other than the Googling part, uh, I think mm-hmm. your story represents uh, many of our stories as, as we, uh, we were just led to this very broad and, and wonderful profession. Now, as I, I said in the introduction, you also have uh, just completed your master's degree in museum studies uh, at, mm-hmm. the, at JFK. Um, what led you to pursue that degree? once you had decided, obviously, to be uh, work in museums? So once I did decide to work in museums, I, I chose the John F. Kennedy University program because it was a double master's program, so I could earn an MA and an MBA in three years. And I, do, I find myself doing things in doubles because I like having a backup plan. <laughs> so in case something happened and I couldn't really, you know, find a good job in museums or something, anything, uh, I had an MBA to back it up. But it's funny because as I went through the program, I found how much uh, both the MA and the MBA kind of complemented each other. And so learning about leadership skills and all those kind of things really helped me uh, in museums a lot. <laughs> That's very interesting. And, and now uh, having... With hearing you say that, it makes even more sense to me uh, how you came about thinking about your uh, your thesis uh, work. Uh, could you just share a little bit? Uh, you have a, a wonderful story at the beginning of your uh, your thesis, and I just think that uh, it would be well worth sharing with our audience. Of course. Uh, so, first of all. I always knew that I, for my thesis, I really wanted to do something about representation. I just wasn't sure how, of course, until my roommate told me this, um, this her story and her experience at the American Museum of Natural History in New York. So as she went to visit, she noticed something really interesting as she was going through all the different halls there. Uh, and she noticed that there was a country that wasn't being represented, or at least a continent that wasn't being represented, and that was Europe. And she found it strange that the European continent was missing from the rest of the exhibit. And she felt like 
so what does that mean? What does that mean to me? And it must mean, you know, that I must be exotic, that I must be other. So you have all these different continents from all over the world except for Europe, mostly because you're assuming that most people know what Europe, what cultures exist in Europe. You're making an assumption that that's, you know, the mainstream culture. And so what does that mean for you who isn't, you know, descendant from that? Well, that just means you're other. And so she felt like an outsider, like an exotic person. And it was just, it's just strange, you know? I think that that's a very interesting statement, and it certainly is something that I was aware of, but and until I, I read it, uh, it, it pretty much as, as you, uh, you've just recounted it, it made me realize that by putting um, uh, peoples of, of all, from all over the world, Africa, Asia, Pacific, Antarctic, uh, into a natural history museum, as opposed to a history museum, mm-hmm. uh, we're, we're making a, a, both an academic and a real social statement on, on how, we, how we value people. And I'm sure that, that that is what your friend was feeling as well. Exactly. And it's, it's really where I started getting, um, you know, the, well, it's where I started developing my thesis. I started thinking, you know, who made that decision? Why was that decision made? What, you know, prompted people to just represent that group? And why, yeah, and again, as you said, why is it in a natural history museum and not just a history museum? So it was just figuring out the why behind all of it. Uh, so how, I mean, I'm sure you've visited many museums, uh, certainly in, in these last few years. So how do you feel, uh, if you go into a museum and you don't see yourself in the museum? It feels, you know, before I kind of knew about these issues, maybe when I was younger, it didn't, I didn't really notice it. And it wasn't until I grew a little older, I felt it feels pretty crappy. <laughs> it feels pretty bad. Uh, this is one reason why I don't go into art museums very often. I never liked going into art museums um, because I grew up thinking, you know, oh, those are those places are just for rich white people, and that's usually what you know my friends and family and we all thought of. Uh, so we never visited places like that or art museums. Um, and I, I never really felt welcomed, and I didn't really realize why until now. It's because, you know, you're not being included. You know, why would I want to go to a place of high art um, where I know really next to nothing about what's being displayed, and really usually the only people being displayed are Europeans or, you know, basically white males. Um, and I learned <clears throat> as I was going through school, you know, you read enough authors and stories and all these different things in school of, uh, surrounding white men. So why would I want to go to, the, to a museum, specifically an art museum, to learn even more? Um, it's almost like eating cheesecake every day for years. <laughs> I wanted something different. Um, I wanted a different flavor. I wanted a different perspective. And it doesn't even necessarily have to relate to me a hundred percent, but you know, it's just a different point of view. And I think that's you're. Why I, yeah, oh, sorry, I, go ahead. 
was going to say, I, I, I think your your statements are are candid and and extremely honest. And while it pains me to hear them, still uh, that um, I, it shows to me that that as museums, whether it's an art museum or a history museum or even a science museum, we're not doing a terribly good job of communicating uh, what we're about. Uh, particularly, there, I'm sure there are listeners out there saying, "Well, in my art museum, we we have done uh, you know much broader uh, look than than a, a traditional museum." But you know, if people don't know that, then yeah. it's not really being very helpful. And I later in the show, we're going to have an opportunity to brainstorm a little bit uh, based on your experiences and and your uh, thesis work on how we might do a little better job. So exactly, and the other point that that I think I would make um, at this point is that I'm assuming uh, I, again that when we say that we don't see ourselves in a certain museum, uh, that's not just because we expect to see pictures that look like us or uh, uh, inventions from people that look like us. But we also get a sense of that from our, um, from who's greeting us at the door or who, mm-hmm. uh, who we actually see in the galleries. If no one looks like us, then we're going to feel a little, uh, uh, a little awkward and question whether we're supposed to be there. Exactly. Um, so let's. So your thesis project included uh, a literature. One of many things it included a literature review relating to women of color, leadership, mm-hmm. and representation in museums. And uh, uh, what did, could you just share a little bit uh, with us? What you found, um, yeah, and what surprised course. you? Uh, yeah, of course. I. So besides wanting way more time to work on it, um, what I found, first of all, is that the, a lot of the literature um, centered around the lack of women in leadership positions was actually very old. A lot of the, the research and all that stuff um, was very old and had second to nothing on, um, on uh, women of color and the intersectionality between race and gender. I really wanted to explore that because of that. Uh, you know, how does how do those thing, two things collide and affect the person's perspective? And this, therefore, how you know the way they lead. Uh, how does that influence their decision? Because you know, I know that my race and gender and my experiences, my background, you know, certainly influences me. Um, and so, one of the things I found. Um, Besides that, besides the rarity of it, uh, uh, what really did surprise me, though, was the age of everything. So everything I found was very, very old, and there was barely, I mean, just barely anything. I had a really, really hard time uh, with my literature review trying to find anything that really related to my topic. Uh, I think that was one of the things that surprised me. I thought there would be more. And were you looking uh, or hoping specifically to find uh, information about uh, uh, people of color and uh, uh, leadership in museums, or were you sort of trying to broad, or or could you uh, even broad it, broaden it out a little bit uh, to you know nonprofits in general? So I started out really concentrating on museums and found that 
that was next to impossible to do. So, yes, I started very small, and then I just had to widen and widen and widen the lens. So I started widening it to uh, nonprofits in general. And even then, um, you know, I was trying to look for something specific on uh, people of color in positions of leadership, but I didn't really find much. Uh, I found a lot on women that was very, that was old. And uh, even then, I had to broaden it to nonprofits in general. Uh, and then I started looking into actually business uh, practices and business uh, literature, business-based literature. They had a little bit more. Uh, and I even had to breach into, you know, psych, uh, psychology, I think it was. So I, I just had to broaden it way more than I thought I had to. That's very interesting. And, and, and I just, I've got to ask, when you say that, that these studies are old, when were they being published? I'd say they're old, you know, in, re- in terms of research. So basically, I think it was the early 90s. I think I was finding a lot of stuff from the early 90s. There was a big push for, I think, uh, women in leadership. I was looking at um, specifically for nonprofits. So, yeah, that was, I, to me, that's old in terms of research. <laughs> Sure. No, I I I, under, I understand completely, and it just it uh, perhaps people who are listening uh, today will uh, take some some solace in knowing that there are some really good research questions that uh, are are just ripe for uh, for projects and masters and and doctoral programs. Uh, so that that is uh, particularly as as a, a new generation heads into the workforce. Um, mm-hmm. We. We are going to go ahead and take uh, our first break. And when we come back, uh, Brenda is going to share with us a series, uh, some of the information that she re- uh, obtained from interviews of, uh, with women of color who are currently in leadership positions. So I know you'll want to stay tuned for that. Uh, remember, you can always reach me at carol.bossert at Verizon. Net. Uh, I always love to hear from listeners. I am particularly thrilled when you recommend people to have on the show. And uh, it's just broadening my circle and my awareness. Uh, so we will be back in a moment. This is Carol Bossert from Museum Life. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. Conservation starts with us. Learn about environmental concerns each week when you tune in to Our Wild World with host Ellie Weiss. Our show centers on Africa each week and what's being done to save our wildlife, ecology, and ourselves. However, we'll also discuss what's going on closer to home. And most importantly, we'll let you know what can be done in our own backyards by featuring guest experts and featuring your questions and answers. Listen every Monday morning at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. If you are interested in real estate in America's largest city or anywhere, be sure to listen for Good Morning New York Real Estate with Vince Rocco. Although our focus is on Manhattan and other real estate markets in and around New York City, we'll have plenty of information that will help you successfully buy, sell, and close a transaction no matter where you are in the world. 
Good morning, New York. Real Estate with Vince Rocco can be heard every Tuesday at 9 a.m. in New York, 6 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bossert. To reach our program today, please call 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert for Museum Life, and I'm here today speaking with Brenda Salguero, who is currently the Director of Education at the Hayward Area Historical Society, and we're focusing on uh, the work that she did to receive her master's degree in museum studies uh, with called uh, Hanging Mirrors, Reflections on Women of Color, Leadership, and Representation Within uh, Museums. And right before break... Uh, we were talking a little bit about uh, one aspect of Brenda's research, which was to really do a good literature search on who has been looking at this topic in the past. And the fact was not many people were. So luckily, Brenda had uh, several other avenues of research, and one of them included interviewing a number of women of color in leadership positions. So Brenda, if you could Mm -hmm. share with us maybe first how you identified these women. So, just similar to the uh, literature review, I had to basically broaden my scope to, I wanted to really concentrate on one type of museum. Unfortunately, uh, I was not able to find that many women of color in positions of leadership. You know, for instance, I was going to just look at history museums. Uh, That didn't really work out. (laughs) So, I had to broaden my, uh, my view. Uh, and so I started just looking at positions of leadership in general and seeing uh, where, you know, finding, trying to find women of color uh, within, within my own networks. And so that's kind of how I started. I just had to broaden my search uh, for them as well. Uh, and and so when you say that that you looked in your own network, you're just, uh, I'm assuming you mean your social social media network? Yes. Social media, uh, but also professional networks. So asking, asking my professors, uh, asking my uh, coworkers. Oh, do you know someone? Uh, my uh, current director of the museum right now. He had a lot of contacts also because uh, he's at, he's African American. He was part of the diversity, I think, uh, group in AAM, and mm-hmm. so he had a couple contacts. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, great. All, all good networking suggestions. Uh, mm-hmm. So how, uh, how did people respond when you uh, contacted them about your project? Uh, a lot of them, I mean, I got very, very positive responses. They were like, yes, I would love to, to interview for this. Uh, give me the time, give me the date. Uh, so it was very... Uh, easy <laughs> in, in terms of finding people who are willing to talk. 
Well, I I would suspect that most people would be uh, appreciative of uh, of your work. Were there any people that that felt that this wasn't really an issue? Uh, no, none felt that it was an issue. A lot of them were like, "Well, finally, someone wants to talk about me, talk about this," you know, uh, to me. So that's the majority of people I, I encountered were like, "Yes, I would." I think this is something that's missing. Great, great. Uh, so uh, the floor is yours. What what did you what did you find? So one of the most surprising revelations that I had uh, for women that I interviewed was first of all this insistence that uh, to improve diversity, you shouldn't advance someone to a higher position uh, based purely on their ethnic background and. The reason it surprised me was because of the insistence that so many of my interviewees had on on making sure that this was clear to me, that this is not a solution to the lack of diversity in museums, that skin color and gender do not trump skills. So that's the first thing I'll say. Um, the second thing that I also found was uh, basically family role models, so representation within the family. There was one interviewee in particular whose mother was a businesswoman, and this was at a time when, you know, women were not, that was not what they did. (laughs) They did not become business people. But her mother basically looked at her and said, you know, you have to learn these skills too. So she had her learn business skills um, at that time. And so... Family role models played a huge part. So this representation of people who were uh, in professional uh, in profession um, in professional situations was very important and really influenced a lot of the my interviewees. Uh, the next thing was being a voice at the table. So knowing when to say, you know, hey, you're not representing this group, or you're not representing them correctly. You have to be, and this was emphasized throughout all my interviewees, you have to be strategic in what battles you fight. So one interview called it, um, one interviewee called it, uh, don't always cry wolf um, because people are not going to believe you. They're going to dismiss you if you keep bringing these issues up over and over again. So you have to really be strategic as to what battles you're going to fight and what things um you're going to bring up. So I had one interviewee who called herself, you know, she was like, I'm always the soapbox. I'm always the one who, you know, once in a while, not always, says, hey, can you actually, you know, represent more people of color in this exhibit or in this uh, project, whatever project they're working on? And finally, uh, basically, all of them had mentors. So all of my interviewees had people who helped them through tough times in their career or helped them navigate their careers. And often it was other women, not necessarily women of color. Uh, I think there might have been one or two interviewees I had, and I interviewed about 11 or, yeah, I re-interviewed about 11 people. And most of them had female mentors. And those are basically the big, big um, meaty things of what I found in, this, in these interviews. 
I think all of the that's very very interesting uh, to me um, in particular. I, I I'm wondering, uh, delving a little deeper here on the uh, you know sort of being the voice at the table. I I have uh, I've been in a few situations where say I'm the only woman at the table, and it mm-hmm. hasn't been for a long time. But in science exhibits, that used to be true, and mm-hmm. uh, and that was always a, an, an interesting situation. I love your friends saying, you know, don't cry wolf all the time. Uh, I would think it was would also be a lot of pressure on say a woman of color if she is the only person of color in the room uh to to be uh, to be made to feel that she needs to speak for an entire segment of society i mean she's one individual how did did you get into any any of uh those discussions it's uh i have to think back a little but yes we did get into that those kind of discussions you know being the one person or being, you know, it is a bit intimidating uh, to be the one person who's, who's at the table saying these things. Um, and it's just, I don't quite remember if we got too into it, but I do remember there was small discussions about how difficult it can be and how intimidating it could be to be the only person at the table. Uh, so now, now in your current situation at, at the Hayward Museum, you've just mentioned that your your uh, your boss is a is a person of color. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm assuming that perhaps you don't have that same uh, type of concern um, in your current in your current job. Do you feel that that uh, you have a good good voice at the table? Yes, and it helps that we're uh, a small staff. We're a very small staff, and. Uh, a lot of my coworkers are also uh, not loud talkers, but they're, they they also, you know, voice their opinions. They have strong opinions. And my previous boss, who was uh, who was the previous education uh, director of education, she was also a great role model <laughs> for being the, that person who who you know said, no, I think that's kind of wrong. So our culture within our job is really positive towards that. Well, that's fortunate that you found that, that kind of uh, situation. And I'm sure then on the flip side, if you look at your uh, business administration uh, hat for a moment, there is sort of a, a phenomena wherever we work that is sort of a group think that nobody wants to be that naysayer. Nobody wants to say, hey, wait a minute, let's think about this a little bit further because that will require that we spend more time and energy and after all, everybody wants to get back to their email. Um, so so I think that has to be put in into perspective as well. It takes rare individuals uh, and rare teams where there's enough honesty and trust to say, "Let's let's go back and look at this one more time. I would think that mm-hmm. that that some of your uh, your your people would would be be thinking of, about that as well, and um, I'm interested. So about the, can you give us any? Were there any generalities in say the age or um, types of leadership positions that that uh, that you looked at? I mean, were they all you know? 
older? Were they all young? You know, sort of where mm-hmm. where were they? Um, in the spectrum, uh, yeah, yeah, in the they, spectrum. They were uh, much. They weren't much older. I wouldn't say, but they were older uh, women who were in. You know, it took them. Uh, a little bit, a little while to get, you know, to the level of position, you know, because it does take you a while to get to a leadership position. And so for the most part, they were older. Uh, they were, I would definitely say almost all of them were over the age of 30, mm-hmm. but not all of them were over the age of 40. That's what I would say. The majority mm-hmm. of them were over the age of 40. Uh, but that was about it. That was kind of the age range. Uh, but the one thing that I did find was the women who I interviewed who were older uh, sometimes had a much more kind of negative view of the future. And I wouldn't say I wouldn't say negative, maybe even realistic. I don't know. Uh, but they just didn't think things were going to change uh, as fast as some people thought or, you know, representation wasn't going to really change or society wasn't really going to change that quickly. Well, I can, uh, being a person who's who's at that end of the scale, I, I can appreciate that. We've been, uh, of course, we've been talking about this subject for as long as I've been in the museum profession, and, and I'm sure we've been talking about it a lot longer, and it does seem that it is a very slow, slow uh, way to change. And in fact, uh, mm-hmm. when we come back from our next break, uh, Brenda and I are going to talk a little bit more about what we can do as museum professionals now to uh, to broaden our our leadership, broaden our thinking, and and uh, representation with within the museum community. So please stay tuned. Uh, this is Carol Bossert for Museum Life. We'll be back in a moment. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Are you or someone you know interested in attending college? With both college tuition and college enrollment up 60% since 2002, there is a lot of competition and careful planning needs to be a part of the process. Tune in to Getting In, a College Coach Conversation. Hosted by Elizabeth Heaton and featuring a team of college coach experts, we'll bring you the tips, techniques, and know-how to navigate the road to college and do so the smart way. Listen live every Thursday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time, 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Get ready for some lively discussion on Barely Controlled Radio with Jeff Reed. From sports to relationships to current events and more, pretty much anything is on the table. Besides being a place kicker for the Super Bowl champion Pittsburgh Steelers, Jeff Reed is also a journalist, blogger, and opinionist. And he's ready to talk to you and tackle the issues that you've been wanting to talk about. Tune in to Barely Controlled Radio every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Eastern Time and 1 p.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Streaming live, 
the leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com. You're tuned into Museum Life with Carol Bosser. To reach our program today, please call 1 866 472 5788. That's 1 866 472 5788. Or send an email to carol.bossert at verizon.net. Now, back to Museum Life. Welcome back. This is Carol Bossert. You're listening to Museum Life. And today I am speaking with Brenda Salguero, who is currently the Education Director at the Hayward Museum. And uh, she's also uh, just finished a very interesting uh, master's thesis about reflections on museum or uh, reflections of on women of color leadership and representation within museums. And uh, I'm finding this very, very interesting. And we've talked about her thesis work uh, a little bit, particularly the interviews that she did with uh, women of color who are in leadership positions within museums and uh, the importance of of their thoughts and recommendations. But so now Brenda and I are going to... we're going to move a little bit beyond that thesis work. Uh, but one of the things that, that uh, at least in my experience, um, and, and it, this was highlighted at the recent um, uh, American Alliance of Museums conference, which, by the way, had the theme of social justice. And so there were a lot of discussions about uh, what we do in the aftermath of Ferguson and other uh, Bits of unrest. Ironically, when we were talking about this, there there were serious uh, riots and disturbances in Baltimore because yet again uh, we had had a, a police inci- incident that uh, was was uh, racially uh, tinged, and so there is always the um, discussion about the importance of how. We as museum professionals, no matter what color of our skin and no, no matter what, what our background, but that we need to sort of step outside of the museum and start talking to people in our community. And again, that can sometimes, when we talk about people in our community, that can also be code for people that aren't coming to the museum for whatever reason and we don't know why. Uh, and we want to go out and talk to them. But I must admit that in uh, my my uh, observations of these discussions, a lot of people uh, don't know how to go about actually doing that, uh, particularly if they are going out into communities where people don't look like them or maybe their customs or their cultures are a little different. So, um, Brenda, I was hoping that you might just share with our listeners some advice on um, how, you know, practically speaking, if, you know, they're an education, you know, your, your sister someplace is an education director at some museum in the middle of America and wants to talk uh, you know, know who her community is, uh, what should she do? So it's, it's not easy. <laughs> First of all, it's not easy. Uh, you know, I recently had an experience where I had to actually do that. I had to go out of my uh, comfort zone because, you know, I'm used to being able to navigate both 
the Latino community and the greater mainstream community, you know, the, you know, air quotes, white community, uh, I have, because I've had to straddle both sides all of my life, you know, coming from my parents who were refugees and going into, uh, and, but being born here and going to school here and, <laughs> and doing all the things, you know, an American does. Um, but, you know, recently I tried to reach out to the large, you know, a large community that my museum never worked with before or rarely worked with before, uh, the Sikh community. And it's nerve-wracking. It's scary. I, I, I understand that now. You know, you don't want to salt the earth before you plant anything. You don't want to burn bridges before you build a bridge. Uh, so first of all, what I did, at least in my situation, is I asked my friends. I I asked them, you know, help. I'm inner ignorant, you know. I do you have any advice? How do I reach out to this community? And they weren't Sikh, but they were Indians from India. And so I asked them. Second, I went to my contacts, and I asked them. And these are contacts within my own museum, kind of my my particular museum's network, people in the community who I knew who knew a ton of people. I asked them, you know, do you know any leaders in the community that I could talk to? Uh, and then third of all, I looked at community groups, so very specific community groups. So say there's a, there's a Sikh group at uh, the neighboring college that I went to or that I, I work with, the Cal State, uh, I work with Cal State East Bay, and so they had a Sikh group. So I kind of started looking to them um, and also looking to churches and temples and those kind of group, uh, those kind of community places where a lot of people congregate and looking at leaders there. That's another place where I started checking out. And the last thing is doing it in person. So if you're going to go out, and I know this takes time, and this is why I say it's not easy because it can be nerve-wracking uh, to literally leave the walls of your museum and step outside, um, is, you know, reaching out and actually talking to people in person because, A, they can't run away from you, <laughs> um, and, B, they uh, also respond better. People, I think, you know, human beings are human beings. Talking to another person face-to-face and building that connection that way, uh, it just forges a much better connection between people. And so um, those are kind of the things I did, and those are things that I would actually also recommend to anyone is really asking for advice and not being really afraid to say, hey, I'm ignorant. I don't know anything about this, you know? I think that is, uh, you and I had talked about that before and we sort of laughed about it, but but I think that that's a, uh, an incredibly important piece of advice. I think that it is so easy for um, many of us to get caught up in the language you know, we know that that words are freighted. We know that uh, that 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 we have that there are you know, terrible misunderstandings, and so we sometimes trip over each other with uh, politically correct words or concerns that we're going to uh, uh, you know in some way insult or or uh, uh, 
another another uh, community. But I think that if we we uh, are humble and go about this in a way that is person to person, uh, is uh, it sounds to me as if that's one of your major lessons. Yes, and I've done a lot of outreach, also, you know, in different communities. I mean, I've done outreach with the Latino community as well. And again, you know, I have kind of a buy-in. I know the language. I speak Spanish fluently. I know the cultural references in, in, in certain instances, in certain cases. So it makes it a little easier for me. But that's what made the Sikh community at least uh, very intimidating to me was, yeah, you don't know anything about this community. So I need to research it. I need to learn more. And so I started reading more about the culture. That, really that's very <laughs> important, too, isn't it, uh, that, that you did your homework? Yes. Mm-hmm. And so how is it going? It's going okay. <laughs> like I said, it's really, it's still hard. Uh, I'm starting kind of, I haven't had as much time. And again, it does, this is why I emphasize it does take time. I haven't had enough, as much time to actually go out and really start talking to people as much as I wanted to. I kind of sent out feelers right now, but hopefully I'm hoping to do some sort of program because I'm in charge of the programming at my museum. So I want to go out and actually talk to people and say, hey, I have this platform where you can talk about your experiences. Let me give you this platform and go ahead. And I found that a lot of people are very receptive to that. They want to have their voices heard. And so framing it that way could also be another way, another strategy uh, in talking to folks is, hey, I have this museum. I have this great place where you can talk to people who've never really maybe uh, seen or heard or experienced your culture or your perspective, you know, go ahead and, and do whatever program you want to do. You know, that is also a very refreshing uh, approach. I, I think so oftentimes we, uh, we perhaps shoot ourselves in the foot when we reach out to you know, a certain community with a predetermined activity or exhibit or uh, something that it, that seems to them and and oftentimes is sort of prepackaged. Uh, mm-hmm. It sounds to me that that you are offering something that is more open ended and, to use the jargon phrase, would be sort of co produced. And that's what I try. I try to do that as much as possible. Obviously, I have other programming obligations where I do have to reach out to people and say, hey, I would like this perspective, blah, 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 blah. But in that case, if you have to do that, it is really good to also keep those channels open and not use people. When I've done research in, and this was specifically going back to my research in the Latino community, a lot of them were saying, you know, we've been burned before. We don't like working with museums. They use us, and then we never hear anything from them again. It's not a mutual partnership. It's not a give and take. And so I try to make sure, you know, what are your needs? Because these are my needs, but what are your needs? And then let's try to work something out, and let's find something in the middle uh, so that we both benefit from each other and learn from one another. 
I think that 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 does sound like a recipe for success. It reminds me of something that Bill Booth uh, has said on this show, which is to work with a community instead of for a community. And that little change of one word, I think, can make a big difference in how we we are even comfortable about moving beyond our walls. Uh, and I think you have just invoked a wonderful example of that. It sounds to me, though, it's, and you've admitted, it's going to take a long time. Uh, friendships mm-hmm. and trust just take a long time. And this is a, a, a group that your organization feels is uh, very important and you're willing to put in that, that time. Exactly. And I think it's I, I think it's wonderful, and I hope you'll you know come back on the show and uh, a little bit and give us an update about that. Yeah, and, I, I hope so too. <laughs> and and speaking of you know the issue of time, um, one of the things that occurred to me as I as I was reading through your thesis uh, and talking uh, uh, particularly uh, in, in uh, the recommendations for uh, ways to increase people of color working in museums uh, beyond just being guards and the cleaning people and um, you know maybe the ticket taker as Adrian yeah. Russell says you know that that really gives you a, a a view too of what the museum is thinking about um, but and I and I love your idea of, of you know certainly mentorships internships um, many of us have have benefited from that but again that takes a lot of time um, if we're we're mentoring an undergraduate or a graduate student today, it's going to take some time for that uh, that woman to get her first museum job and then get the skills she needs to take on that uh, additional leadership role as a director. So, what? How do you think museums can can begin to work now to uh, you know, make a? a show their communities and show uh, people of color that they really are serious about expanding their perspective. It's, yes, and it's going to take time, but you you can do a lot of small things in a lot of ways, and I think it really goes back to the individual. You have to really think about your own place in society and say, you know, where do I come from? What do I know and not know? How, what, are my, what are my privileges? And so I think it really starts with within yourself. That's the first, first, absolute first step, in my opinion. Uh, and then you start asking yourself, you know, when you look at, when you go to the table and you're planning an exhibit or you're planning a program or, you know, whatever you're planning, you can ask yourself, where can I add, you know, more women of color stories or where can I add people of color perspectives into this, into this topic that I'm researching for? So, for instance, one of my interviewees, you know, and I think I, I, I talked about this earlier, she asked her, she, she was, they were working on an exhibit and she asked her director, you know, are there any black scientists that you can add to this exhibit? Like, all I see are white men in this exhibit. Can you... You know, is there anyone else? And so she had to go home and research and find an African-American scientist and then send it to her team and say, hey, let's add him. What about him? Would he work as a great, you know, 
person to add to this exhibit. And so, yes, it takes a little bit of effort, but it's this little small step that people can take, and it always, always centers, um, it starts with you. It starts with where you are in, in realizing where you are in society and where you stand. Uh, for programs, and which is what I am starting to do, is to me is thinking about large human universals and working backwards. And I touched upon this. Actually, I talked about this in my thesis as well, you know, focusing on larger topics like food, music, dancing. I mean, these are human universals. Everyone has these things that they that they uh, that they love, and um, and ultimately you have to think about you know museums are third spaces. They ultimately people want to go out and have fun, so really concentrating on these big big topics. Uh, so say you're pri- you're doing a program on food, well do a program on a very specific type of food like I don't know um, transportable foods like or or every culture has like a different version of a packaged food, like an empanada or, um, I don't know, there's other types of foods out there (laughs) that are just these little packets. um, And you could do a whole program on that. Or uh, on music, what different types of music, uh, you know, you can look at Latin American music and there's a cumbia is a perfect example of this amalgamation of African roots, indigenous roots, and Spanish roots. And so I've been wanting to do a program on just cumbia music. Uh, so thinking about it that way also within your own space or within whatever you do uh, is also, I think, helpful. I, I, those are great suggestions, and, and I agree with you completely. And I, I, I know, having you know, served on a number of teams throughout the years, that it is sometimes easy to get um, swayed by uh, you know, the, a narrowness of topics, say you know, only inventions of a certain type, and, uh, and that, that those don't necessarily either you know certain certain inventors don't come to our minds but that's just because we don't know what we don't know and exactly. uh work such as yours is is giving us uh raising our awareness uh in in such marvelous ways and you are doing some absolutely fabulous work and i i hope you continue on and the museum world is is richer for having you uh in our field. So thank you very well, much. Thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you. Uh, so, so Brenda, thank you for being on the show today. Um, and I do hope that you come back uh, and let us know how things are going in a little bit. Uh, this has been a wonderful program and we will be back next week with another uh, edition of Museum Life. Until then, remember, always reach me at carol.bossard at verizon.net. Let me know what you think we should be talking about on uh, what museum issue is burning for you. So we'll be back next week. Thanks for listening. Thank you for tuning in this week to Museum Life. Please join your host, Carol Bossert, again next Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. What museum issue is on your mind? Tell Carol at carol.bossert at verizon.net.
Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. 